All right. Good morning. Oh, it's extra loud. Perfect. That's going to work out good for me. Bad for y'all, but that's okay. Um, turn to John chapter 17. Sorry, John chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm glad you're here. Hope you've had a good weekend and uh, thankful that you're in worship with us as we come and worship our King, talk about our great God, and, uh, and spend time in His Word together. So there's a story of an ancient explorer coming over the mountains of, Color, uh, sorry, the mountains of California and looking at the Pacific Ocean for the very first time. And as he comes over and sees the, the majesty of the ocean, the blue waters of the Pacific, he thinks to himself, I've never seen anything like this before. Remember, he's exploring, so for the first time he is out. He's heard of the great waters before, but has never seen them. And so he goes, and he gets down to the shore of the ocean, and he doesn't know what to do, but he just says, I'm just going to get in it. And so he gets down in it, and he says, I wish there was a way to be able to take what this is, what I'm seeing back to my people, to be able to take it back to the people that have sent me here so I can explain it. He didn't know what to do, but he had this clay jar. And so he dips the clay jar down into the water and pulls up that Pacific salt water. I says, I'm going to take this back and tell him about this ocean that I've seen. And so he goes back. Now, here's the question. Do you think that a clay jar of water, salt water from the Pacific, can even come close to describing what the Pacific Ocean really is, not a chance, not in a million years. And that's kind of how I feel this morning, talking about the Holy Spirit and trying to describe something that is so much bigger than anything we really can describe. And here's one reason why. Because God is infinite and we are finite, and we as finite are trying to describe the infinite, and we just don't quite have words to do so. So I've was talking to Lori Vesper, and Lori works in the office with us this week, and on Wednesday, she said, hey, what's, what's your sermon title going to be? What do we need to put in the, in the midweek update? There's an email sent out every Wednesday. You may see it. And I said, just put this. Put, Monty's going to talk about the same thing Dean's been talking about, but try not to talk about the same things Dean has said. Try to say something different than Dean has said. And she said, if, you, if we say that, they're going to think I made that up, and it's going to make me look bad. I said, no, they'll think I made it up, because I'm always making up stuff like that. So here's what we're doing this morning. We're trying to talk about the Holy Spirit and share some things with you. And Dean has been in this series, and we've been primarily in the book of John, the last discourse of Jesus, John 13 through 17, spending time there. And we're going to spend a little bit more time there this morning, specifically in John chapter 14, but a few other texts as well. But here's what I want you to know. The Holy Spirit's hard to understand. It's a difficult thing for us to get a grasp on. We understand parts of it. And parts that we understand because God has revealed that to us. But if this morning you find yourself saying, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, but it's always just been elusive to me. I've never had a really firm grasp, and it's been difficult to understand what the Spirit truly is. Or if you've ever thought the Holy Spirit is hard to comprehend and unable to be understood. Or if you've ever just been, felt like you're alone, no one else around, then this sermon is for you. So the title of the sermon is called Never Alone, and we're going to spend some time looking at uh, the Gospel of John, but a few other texts as well in that. Okay, so we talk about the Holy Spirit. It may be perhaps one of the most challenging topics of Scripture to talk about, to talk about this Spirit that we've heard lives among us, that we've heard lives in us, but how do we understand that? Because He's not physical, and everything we understand is physical, so how do we say, well, the Holy Spirit's in us where exactly is it at? 
Is it, is it in here somewhere? Is it, is it down here somewhere? I don't know how to describe that. And so we look at this and we say there's, there's been lots of confusion through the years about the Holy Spirit. There's even been controversy about the Holy Spirit understanding what His role is, what His nature is, what the function is of this third person of the Trinity. And so I'll say that even though I've spent lots of time studying this through the years and you may be the exact same way, there's still so much I don't understand and so many questions that I still have. And so for people today, the idea of the Holy Spirit, it can be a little bit disconnecting. And there's certain parts of God we understand. God the Father, for instance. We can understand what a father is. We know a father would, would play the role of provider, play the role of protector, play the role of uh, someone who is going to be a leader. We can understand that. We get father. So God the Father kind of makes sense to us. God the Son, Jesus Christ, that makes sense to us. We understand that He came from the Father. We understand the role of a son. We understand a son wanting to please His Father. A lot of us in this room are sons. A lot of us in this room have had brothers that are sons, or maybe you are the mother to a son. We understand what son is. But when we start talking about the Spirit, what we've understood about God the Father, what we've understood about God the Son becomes a little bit more difficult to make sense of it all. We talk about God the Spirit. So, it's like a Bible class teacher one Sunday morning in class, and she was talking, trying to help her young students understand about this triune God, about the Trinity of God. And so, she said, can anyone in class, can you describe to me, can you tell me about what the Trinity is? Who makes up the Trinity? A bunch of students rose their, raised their hand. They were excited to tell. And one kid, just before, before he raised their hand, just jumped up and he said, I know, I know. It's God the Father, and Jesus the Son, and the Holy Smoke. And that kind of alludes to some of the confusion that we face today. Who's the Holy Spirit? What does He do? What is He up to? And what is this all about? Thankfully, God's Word is not silent on this. It tells us so many things. And so if you have come in this morning or ever been in the situation where you just feel like, I don't fully know what this Holy Spirit, I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to know more about this. Here's what I want you to know. God's Word does not leave us without understanding. And God, who reveals Himself to us, listen, we know about who God is because God has revealed Himself to us. We know those things. We didn't just figure it out on our own, but God has revealed that. He's also revealed things about the Spirit to us that we can know. So there's about 250 times in the New Testament, just the New Testament itself, where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. The Holy Spirit is talked about. Multiple names that are used in those 250 times, most of the time, it's the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there's about 90 times that the Spirit is mentioned, the Spirit of God being mentioned in the Old Testament. So the Bible is not silent on this at all. In fact, from the beginning to the end, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, you find the words of the Spirit. So if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, the Spirit, sorry, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then you go to the end of the book, Revelation 22 says, the spirit and the bride say come. So God's word has so much to say about what the Holy Spirit is. So if you've come in this morning, you've been, it's elusive, I don't get it. I want to show you some things about scripture that I think we can understand. There's always going to be things about God that we can't understand. Again, finite, trying to describe the infinite, but there are so many things about the Lord that we can understand. And we can understand what he is, who He is, 
what he does in this world, what he does in this church, and how we as followers of Christ are to respond to him. So as we think about this, as we talk about this, I want you to know that we could come and say, hey, here is everything to know about God, but there's a problem in that we do this. We sometimes just make it about us. We don't make the Holy Spirit about us, but we make our understanding about the Holy Spirit about us. And we start having doubts about ourselves. Maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I can't comprehend this. Maybe God doesn't love me as much as I think He does. Maybe I'm not really able to know God and I'm just living this, this Christian life and, and coming so short. So before I tell you more about the Holy Spirit, I need to tell you this. You cannot act perfect enough to make God love you more. You can't act perfect enough to make God love you more. He already loves you, and you can't change that. You can't make yourself more perfect or do anything or do better to make God love you more. But also, you can't mess up enough to make Him love you less. So you can't act perfect enough to make Him love you more, and you can't mess up enough to make Him love you less. And I hope that as we spend some time here in the Holy Spirit and talking about the Holy Spirit, you can understand that, that God loves you, that God's forgiven you, that God has accepted you, and y'all, you're His. What a blessing that is to think of the grace and the mercy and the kindness of our God. So let me give you some words that the Bible describes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, some things that He says. So one of the words is helper. If you look much in John 13 through 17, this discourse that Jesus says, you find out that He's a helper. You also see the word comforter, that He is a comforter, that He comforts us. If you've ever been helped, in a spiritual way, comforted in a spiritual way, ways that you can't describe. That is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Counselor, counselor, guide, guiding us, helping us to see who God really is, helping us with decisions in our life, direction that we need, things that we're going to make decide on to, to move us in the right direction. He's a counselor. He's a guide. He's an intercessor. So Romans chapter 8 talks about he's an intercessor. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit on behalf of God goes to God for us, helps us to pray even with groans. The Holy Spirit um, is the spirit of truth. And we talked about that last week. If you're here talking about the end of John chapter 15, we'll get to that in a second as well. The spirit of truth. He's the third member of the Trinity. And listen, the, the Holy Spirit is how Jesus is with us today. It's how Jesus has always been with you. And so if you look at this, well, Jesus is gone. He's not with us anymore. No, He's with us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to us, gifts that don't come from any other way except to realize they are from the Spirit for the building up of the church. The Spirit produces good things in our life. So the fruit of the Spirit that we talk about from Galatians chapter 5. And listen, when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, if you say any of those examples, if you talk about love or, or patience or kindness or goodness, you can't just go out and say, I'm just going to go create love, or I'm just going to go make there be patience in my life or, or, or take goodness. I'm just going to create goodness right here. It doesn't happen that way. There's a part of us that can be more loving. There's a part of us that can be more patient, but there's some of it that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, you start to realize you've been walking with God longer and longer, and you've been more focused on God. You've been more dedicated to God, not just kind of playing a game, but you said, I'm really going to love God. You see this patience coming out of your life more. Where'd that come from? And there's love that lives inside of you, and it comes out. And, and where is that from? It's from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, and the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus testifies about Jesus. So we're going to keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that in just a second about that Holy Spirit testifying to Jesus. 
So God is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God has all the attributes of deity in all three parts of the Trinity. So God the Father is deity. Jesus the Son is deity, has all the attributes of divine nature. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of deity, all the attributes of divine nature. And he's called the Holy Spirit because he's a non-material being. We think of physical stuff. We think of all the stuff physical. Think about the stuff you think about all the time. You think about things in life. You think about maybe what to eat. You maybe think about stuff at your job, people in your life, car you drive, whatever it is you think about. Almost all the time, we're thinking about physical stuff. So it makes sense that when we're thinking about something spiritual, we have to kind of say, hey, I've got to step back from my normal train of thought and realize that the Holy Spirit is not this material, physical being, but He's invisible. And He is spirit. And even though He is spirit, every time He's referenced in the Bible, He's referenced personally and talked about who He is personally as being able to know Him personally. All right, so I'm going to take a step back about 10 years for y'all that have been in this church for for 10 years or more. And our preacher 10 years ago was Forey Grove. And the first time I remember, well, lots of things about Forey that I remember and and so many joys. And I shared the office right across from him for about eight years while he was here. And oh, the stories that came out of those times of us yelling back and forth at each other in some really fun ways. But one thing he talked about a lot, remember this, he talked about that God, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it's like the hound of heaven the one who always comes and seeks us out. I remember him talking about the hound of heaven. And so when I came across this story, it immediately made me think about things that Forey had taught me. And so it was in the 1800s and a guy named Francis Thompson. And he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. But let me tell you the backstory first. He was a medical student in London. He dropped out of medical school, became addicted to opium. And with any addiction, that just led him away from the things that were right in his life and led him to things that were difficult in his life. And he ran from God. He attempted suicide, and he kept running, and he kept running, and he kept running from the Lord until one day he realized he couldn't run anymore. And he hit rock bottom, and he realized that God had been pursuing him the whole time. And he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. And so in it, he says this, I fled him down the nights, so fled means running away, right? I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him through the labyrinthian ways of my own mind. And he goes through and and elaborates on how he ran from God. But then he comes to this part here, and he says this. Talking about God, he says, God pursued me with underlying chase and unperturbed pace. Isn't that great? Underlying chase an unperturbed pace. We would just say, God came after me. And he takes the time to describe it, how exactly God came after him with underlying chase and unperturbed pace. I love that description and this understanding of the constant chasing and the pursuing of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. So if you're open to John chapter 14, that's great. You can look there right now, verse 15. If you're not, it's going to be on the screen for you to be able to see so that you can kind of walk with me as we're doing this. We're going to look at a few passages And the idea that I want you to look at in these passages is how we're never alone. That God does not leave us by ourselves. Jesus spent a lot of time in John chapter 13 through 17 as he's talking about this because he's about to leave and his disciples are understanding this and they go from this everything's okay in our world to everything's about to fall apart in our world. And he's saying, hold on, you're not going to be alone. So here's John chapter 14, 15. If you love me, Keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate to help you 
and be with you forever. Okay, notice that. He will help you and he'll be with you forever. So if you're wanting to know what does the Holy Spirit does, there's two things right there that he does. He's going to help you and he's going to be with you forever. Keep going. Verse 17 says the spirit of truth. So one of the names for the spirit is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. So Jesus tells us two more things. He's going to be with us alongside. He's going to be right there with us in, in life. And he's going to be in us. Again, it's not a physical in us. It's a, it's a spiritual in us, guiding us, leading us, counseling us, helping us to know the truth of who he is. So keep that in mind. He's the advocate. He's a spirit of truth. You know him. He lives with you and will be in you. If you want to flip over to Matthew 28, you can. It's going to be on the screen too. But the very end of Matthew's gospel Matthew is going to talk about a very similar thing. And notice the words of Jesus here because it's Jesus talking, and this is the Great Commission. You may have heard this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." So notice that last part, I am with you always. You're not going to be left alone. You're not going to be on your own. And it relates back to what Jesus had also said in John chapter 14 when he said the Holy Spirit's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. Jesus is saying here, I'm going to be with you always and here's how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be because I'm physically not going to be here. But spiritually, can we think about that for a second? With all the stuff we know about Jesus with all the things that we have seen in his life and all the things that the gospel writers and the authors of the Bible told us about Jesus. To think for a second that he is going to be with us and walk through this life with us, that we are not alone, it ought to just blow our mind. It's the most incredible thing that God loves us that much, that he cares about us that much, that he would be with us and never leave us alone. And then in Acts chapter 1, Verse 8, this is where Jesus is about to go ascend into heaven. These are the very last words that Luke records of Jesus, the last words that Luke, that the gospel, sorry, that Acts has of Jesus. And here's what it says. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. First of all, wouldn't that be amazing to see? Like we see a balloon go up in the sky, we just kind of watch it until it goes away. But imagine it being our Lord. And imagine what these people saw at the time when they're watching Jesus. But listen to what he said right before it. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of this earth. The last thing ringing in their ears that they ever heard Jesus say was this. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he's telling them to go out and be witnesses. He says, but don't go. Don't go yet. Don't go until you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so D.M. Dawson is an author. He wrote this about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how much we need. It says, without the power of the Holy Spirit, all human efforts methods and plans are as futile as attempting to propel a boat by puffing at the sails with our own breath. It's a good picture, isn't it? 
you imagine a sailboat? Let's say you go down to Galveston today and you say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop over to Rockport on my boat. And so you get in your sailboat and you just sit there and, and there's no wind. Be like, no big deal. I got this. Into the sail. Thinking you're going to get somewhere. He's saying that's the same thing as walking without God's power in this life. Walking without God's spirit in this life. We don't do this on our own. And yet God's power is there when we allow it to be. So the most condensed discussion of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture is found in this final discourse of Jesus, John 13 through 17. And spending time in it, it's a, as, as Jesus talks about it, and by the way, if you haven't just sat down and read this in a while or just listened to it for a while, it's so powerful. So on Tuesday, knowing that I was getting ready to preach and, and I, I, this doesn't come naturally to me. I have to spend lots of time thinking and preparing. I don't want to sound stupid in front of you guys as I'm, as I'm speaking. And so I was sitting Tuesday and I said, I'm just going to take a walk and just listen. So I put my earbuds in and just started at John chapter 13 and went through 17. And when I listen to it and when I read it, there's things I discover every single time about Jesus. And so if you haven't seen that, I haven't discovered it lately, I encourage you, find some time this week. Start reading in John 13 and go through 17, because it's these final words that he's saying. He's gathered his disciples in the upper room for some final instructions and some clarifications on how to move forward in life without him being physically present with them. For the three years before, he's been there. He's been there personally. He's been there physically with them. In, in good times and bad times, he's been there. In the difficulties of life and in the celebrations of life, they could always find Jesus, and he was always there to lead them but his public ministry is about over, and he's about to leave, and he wants to explain to them how they're going to be able to go on without him. And so these last words of Jesus, anytime someone says their last words, you know, you think about this, you think about maybe people who've passed away already, you, you kind of think, well, I just talked to him last week. You, you may say that, and you know the last thing they said was, and we have these words, the last things they said. And so it, it's worth paying attention to when Jesus is talking here to realize that within 12 hours of him saying this, he's going to be crucified on the cross. And a few hours after that, he's going to be dead. And he is saying things here that he wants his disciples and he wants us to know about the Spirit and about his relationship with the Father and about God's relationship with us. And it is transforming truth in that little room where Jesus is gathered with his disciples when they push away the wooden bowls and the wooden cups and all the eyes in the room turn and focus on Jesus and Jesus starts talking and they hear the words of our Lord regarding how they are to go on and live without him being there. So John 13 through 17, it, it seems to come alive as you just read this and it seems to, to, to illustrate more and more about God's relationship with us and we pay attention to it because John, as the gospel writer, was there physically present. He heard the words from Jesus, and he wrote them down for us to see. And so we actually have the words that Jesus said in that room with his disciples, with the people. What a, what a blessing to be able to read this. So John 16, verse 7, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, meaning profit, right, to your benefit, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So here's the solution to your trauma. 
to your sorrow, guys. He's looking at his men around and saying, men, here's the answer to this. I'm going to leave, but there's going to be a helper that comes, an advocate that comes, and a counselor that's going to come to walk with you and be in you and help you through this life. It's the way that God is going to relate to his people. The Holy Spirit is the one that's going to come alongside and bring assistance to you. And so the question that maybe you've thought of before is this. Why is it advantageous for Jesus to leave? Why does he say it's for your good that I'm going away? It doesn't seem to be good to me. seems like it would be better if he was there. But listen, while Jesus was on the earth, he was bound physically. He, by choice, he stayed bound physically to not be in more than one place at one time. So if Jesus is in Nazareth, he's not going to be in Jerusalem. And if he's at the Sea of Galilee, he's not going to be at the Dead Sea, right? But when Jesus goes to the Father and the Holy Spirit comes, all of a sudden now, the Spirit of God can be with everyone everywhere. It's the most amazing thing to think about because I get confused trying to hear two conversations at one time. To think that God can know the people of this earth that have ever lived and ever will live, that He can know all of us right now, that His Spirit can be with us right now. Is it a wonder that we have trouble understanding this because God is so much above us? But what He has revealed to us, we know, and that is that the Spirit can be with us. And so whether we're in College Station, Texas, or we're in Chicago, or we're in Miami, or we're halfway around the world. God's Spirit goes with us and every believer and is in us and is with us. It gives us strength that we need in a spiritual way, and it's never going to leave us. Jesus says, that's the plan. That's what's going to happen. That's a great plan that he gives to us. And the Holy Spirit, it's important to know this, is someone to be known, not just a force to be utilized. And so the Spirit, when you think about it, we don't just talk about it in this mystical sense of, oh, the Spirit this, the Spirit of that. It, it is someone to be known, not just a force to be realized. And the power of the Spirit does not come without relationship. It's not just a force to be utilized. It's someone to be known. Um, you've probably heard the statistics like I have about how isolated people feel these days. In this technological generation that we live in, where we are connected more than we ever have been, there are so many studies that say, listen, people are just lonely. People feel alone. People feel isolated. People feel like they don't have anyone. And we realize that a screen in front of us and knowing something about someone is not the same as actually knowing someone. And the same is true with the Holy Spirit, that knowing about the Holy Spirit is not the same as knowing the Holy Spirit, but He's not just a force to be utilized. He is someone to be known that the Holy Spirit is in relationship with us to the point that you are never, ever, 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 ever alone because you have the Holy Spirit. So if I can give you some encouragement this morning, even if all of this is difficult to understand, even if you're like, man, just grasping my mind around this to know that we are not alone because the Holy Spirit is there with us. He's not visible. He's not for the five senses, but He is with us spiritually. He is guiding us and leading us. And so this plan that Jesus lays before them to show them that they will be empowered by a spirit that indwells within them, that they would be able to know who Jesus is and they would be able to explain who Jesus is and be witnesses for Jesus about this life that he lived. There's a guy that put it this way. His name is Ian Thomas and he said, the life that Jesus lived qualified him for the death that he died. And the death that he dies qualifies us for the life that he lived. 
pretty profound to think about. So I want to take a step and realize that the Holy Spirit, John chapter 15, this is what Dean spoke on last week if you were here, John chapter 15, the very end of it says the Holy Spirit always bears witness to Jesus and always talks about who Jesus is, will testify about Jesus. And so high schoolers, I'm going to invite you to come up right now. They're helping me. And we're going to spend just a moment looking at Jesus and looking at who He is and what He does. And what I want to do is to try to share this with you in a way that's visible. Yeah, come on up, come on up. Share this in a way that's visible and let you walk through six different scenes of Jesus' life. So you're going to see Jesus as He heals a paralyzed man that's brought and let down through a roof by His friends. You're going to see Jesus as He encounters a man named Jairus and Jairus' daughter is sick. And then a woman that comes up and just grabs the the hem of Jesus' garment and reaches out and Jesus knows power is going to be taken from Him and He as if he didn't know. He turns around and finds her and helps her up. Jesus, as he goes, and he's in the wilderness, and Satan is tempting him. These are not going to be in order, by the way, so if you're looking in order, don't think that, but I want you to see the stories of this. You're going to see Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. You'll see Jesus and Zacchaeus, and then Jesus as he's crucified. And listen to the song, and think about these words, and let's take a glimpse at this one to whom the Spirit testifies to Yet it was a heartache that made him cry. He gave his life so you would understand. Is there any way you could say no to this man? If Christ himself We're standing here, face full of glory and eyes full of tears. He'd hold out his arms with his nail printed hands. Is there any way you could say no to this man? Tell 
I'll stay right there for a second if you don't mind. And I want you to think about how in life sometime we either live this right here or we live this right here. That we come, we bow at the feet of Jesus and we worship him or we just turn our back to him and say, Jesus, you do your own thing, but I'm doing my own thing right now. I'll be my own God. And yet the things that Jesus has done, the way he came and showed who God was to us, revealed scripture to us is incredible. All right. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate all of y'all's help this morning. Good job. Good job. So the story doesn't end there. Luke 24, this is verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, writes this incredible passage about Jesus, and he says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Powerful words of a powerful Savior. So this morning, I want you to think about how the Spirit in your life has helped you to see God. You know, when we read in Matthew about the Great Commission, we read that go into the world and Jesus is going to be with us always. When he was talking to those disciples, we are still the evidence that they did that, that God's power was at work in them Because through a family member or through a friend or through someone, you've been able to know Jesus. You've been able to know who God is. And you're sitting here today, you're in relationship with Jesus because the Holy Spirit at work in our world and at work in our lives. And the Spirit always testifies to who Jesus is. And so we're going to end this teaching time with our family prayer time. And family prayer time, if you haven't been here before, is just the time that we're just going to pray.
You can pray on your own with those around you or with someone else in this room. It's going to be a song that plays and just let you have, it's about four minutes in, in length, let you have these few minutes to just pray before God and then Curtis will come up after that and wrap us up. But let's pray together.